Recovery Elevator, episode 33. Alcoholics really was one of the major players keeping me from maintaining my values and from maintaining and achieving my goals. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator podcast. My name is Paul. Thank you so much for joining us. According to my Recovery Elevator sobriety tracker on my phone, I've been sober for one year, two weeks, and six days, and I plan to keep this train moving forward. On today's podcast, I've got Matthew. He's been sober for, actually, he doesn't know. Therefore, I don't know. He doesn't really believe that counting days in sobriety is motivation to stay sober. This is an interesting concept to me, so stick around for the interview. I can only imagine the way good old Ben Franklin felt after the way he discovered electricity. Recovery elevator, I think I'm onto something huge. I've heard so many times that it's that first drink that gets us into trouble. It's not the last one, it's the first drink. I think I have invented. Yes, I'm gonna put myself in the same category as Benjamin Franklin. I am a podcaster and an inventor. And I think I've invented something special, just like Benny Franklin did when he invented electricity, or discovered electricity, shall we say. Or maybe he invented the light bulb. I was probably hungover during this topic in school, but I have invented a system that I think will work that will allow people to drink normally again and skip the whole first drink dilemma that lands us in jail, flat on our faces in the gutter. You get the point. Now, I've been sober for over a year and things are going pretty darn well, so I personally am not going to try this technique that I've invented but it's pretty much a fail-safe plan. Are you ready for it? Oh, you actually got to wait till the end of the episode. You could probably just skip forward to the end of it, but I'm going to pull like the to be continued card and it's going to be the end of the episode where I'm going to line out how this ingenious detailed plan works. So if you were only thinking or wondering, do I have a drinking problem? If there was only a way to moderate or a plan, well, this is it. But you got to listen to the whole episode first before you can figure out my genius plan that I invented to how to drink like a normal person again and avoid that whole first drink that really gets us into trouble. Before we get into today's podcast topic, let's hear from our sponsor, Sober Nation. Sober Nation is the largest online recovery community and treatment resource center. They provide treatment resources to those struggling with addiction as well to family members who are caught in the crossfire. On top of that, Sober Nation is a huge community of good people who share their experience with each other. They have informative content, recent recovery and addiction news, as well as an entire clothing line, which helps expand the culture of recovery. They can be found at www.SoberNation.com. Once again, that's SoberNation.com. Speaking of our sponsor, Sober Nation, today's podcast topic, episode 33, mirrors a blog post done by Tim Stoddard, the brainchild behind Sober Nation. I read this blog post and it struck a chord with me. It's five reasons that are holding you back from getting sober. His title was five reasons you'll never get sober. I changed the title a little bit to just five things that are holding you back from getting sober. But Tim, I think you got it right on. Here are five reasons why a lot of people, they won't get sober. Let's face it, Recovery Elevator, getting sober is hard. It's an extremely strange phenomenon. With all the pain, heartbreak, trouble with the law, family turmoil, and ill health effects that goes hand in hand with this whole charade of drinking, in some ways, it's still easier to continue drinking than quitting or making any changes. 
Quitting drinking requires action. It requires doing things that most people, they don't want to do. It requires you to have a complete blind faith in what is going to happen after you quit drinking. This is an investment in yourself that you need to make. Investments are tough. Do I invest in Apple? Do I invest in commodities? Stock market goes up, stock market goes down. Buy low, sell high. Some people buy high, sell low. I've actually done both of those. But really, if you're not willing to invest in yourself, this whole sobriety thing is never going to happen. That's why we call this a leap of faith. To get sober demands blind faith that what you are doing today is somehow going to pay off in the future. That is very uncomfortable. It's against the nature of the majority of the people. For many people, alcohol is the comfort zone. You feel like shit when you're not drinking, but you do have that comfortable feeling where you know how you will feel after you guzzle a gallon of vodka in a day. After you just start drinking wine out of that box or bottle. There is a little bit of comfort in there. Not much, but a little. But sobriety has been a doorway into the life of freedom for myself and so many others that only those who have been shackled by addiction will ever understand. The problem is, is that you, yes, I'm talking to you, you will never understand that feeling because you're not willing to get outside your comfort zone, drink this Kool-Aid that let me tell you, you should be drinking and understand this freedom that sobriety has given me. Number one of the five things that are holding you back from quitting drinking is you can't get honest with yourself. Let's not sugarcoat this. Getting honest with yourself is not easy. It's much easier to live in denial. The problem is you cannot hide from the truth. I went to a conference a couple months ago and it says the average person has 3.4 blind spots. The average addict, alcoholic, we probably have a lot more because we have our own addiction lying to us in our own voice, completely covering up those blind spots. We probably have 10, 15 blind spots. You cannot escape it. You can only deny it. You can only hide in the safe bubble wrap of your own false reality. Getting honest with yourself, guys, requires you to be exposed and to be vulnerable. It requires that you see yourself for what you really are. If you want to get sober, you are going to admit that there is a problem. You're going to have to admit your faults, your insecurities, your mistakes, your lies, and find out where that void really is coming from. You're going to have to be, what is it? Ah, exposed big time. The second thing that is holding you back from getting sober is you are unwilling to do the work. Sobriety is not free. Recovery from any substance requires work. Hell, anything of value in this life, it takes work. Some things are handed to us on a silver platter from our parents, from our friends. Sometimes we catch breaks in life, but this sobriety thing, it's not going to be the case with that. You have to be willing to do whatever it takes. You have to be willing to go to that meeting when your favorite TV show is on or it just might not be convenient for you. You expect these good things to happen to you. You expect to be sober and happy because you deserve it. You expect all this stuff to happen without making sacrifices. I'm only 33 years old and I don't quite have the sage wisdom of Paul Sheenham that was interviewed in episode three or four of this podcast, but I do understand that's not how the world works. I understand this world is not fair. It's tough. Life happens and it will kick your butt, but really anything is attainable if you're willing to put in the work. Here's a quote. Sobriety is not for those that want it or even for those who need it. It's for those that simply do it. The third reason that is holding you back from quitting drinking is you refuse to have an open mind. 
This is the whole listen to the similarities and not the differences deal. For most alcoholics, recovery is a completely new way of life. It is alien, it is strange, and very confusing. In order to get sober, you must be open-minded to new ideas. If you're stuck in your ways, if you're convinced that you know what's best, you'll never get sober. If you're still thinking that your ideas are genius, kind of like the one that I propositioned at the beginning of this podcast, it'll be up to you at the end if you really do think this is a genius idea or not, but it's these ideas that landed myself in the predicament that I was in in 2014. I wonder if Benjamin Franklin had any ideas like this. He did fly a kite in a thunderstorm with a key attached to it. Paid off in the end though. Basically, if you think you know what's best and you're not open to other ideas, you're not going to get sober. The fourth reason that is holding you back from quitting drinking is you don't have stamina. I've said it before on this podcast, this sober thing is a marathon, not a sprint. No, no, no. It, it, it's a decathlon or whatever that race is where, where they run across like the Sahara freaking desert. It's like the Pacific Crest Trail, that 3,000-mile journey that goes from the Mexican border all the way to Canada. I've been in the rooms, and I've been around recovery for a while. We've seen this before. Those people that are fresh out of rehab, day 32 out of their 31-day rehab stint. Hate to use the word stint, but that's what it was. They came out, they're sprinting, they're feeling great, but they're at such a clip that they're not able to keep it up. But there's just so much to keep up that you don't know what's falling by its side. Until soon enough, you're going to hear your mind say this, and I've said it a hundred times, is, ah, I've got this. I've been sober for this period of time. I think I got this from here on out. And in my own personal experience, it's right about two to three weeks later after I say that to myself, like, oh, I got this. In just a short period of time, there's empty booze bottles all over my house. I'm doing the whole shifting which liquor store I go to so the liquor store person doesn't know who I am. I'm driving drunk. I'm listening to Third Eye Blind, how it's going to be on repeat, crying, and wondering what in the hell happened again. And the fifth reason that is holding you back from quitting drinking is you simply don't want it. Let's pretend that you're drunk, you're withdrawing, you've got DTs, you're begging, you're pleading, and you're scratching for help. Your family members or loved ones are crushed from what they are witnessing, yet you keep on drinking. The simple truth is that if you don't want to get sober, you never will. I know the fifth one is a tough one to wrap your head around because it's like, yeah, of course I wanted to quit drinking, but I wasn't ready, nor did I want to do the previous four things that I just talked about in this podcast episode. But let me promise you one thing, Recovery Elevator. That's right. I said the word promise. That is a solid word. Here's the promise. It is all worth it. If you can be honest about yourself and you're willing to do the work, if you can be open-minded to the concepts you may not understand, then you can get sober. Most importantly, if you want it bad enough, you can live the life you have always wanted. It is absolutely possible. And we, I, believe in you. This doesn't happen overnight, but I can promise you that anyone who has done the work will tell you the same. They promise you it is all worth it. Now let's hear from our interviewee, Matthew. Matthew, how are you? I'm doing really well. Thank you. Thanks for having me uh, on your show. I'm really happy to be part of your show. I can't wait to hear what you're about to share with us. Recovery Elevator Matthew is 32, and I'm just going to let you answer the next question. Matthew, how long have you been sober? 
Well, I've been uh, sober for several years now, and for me, counting uh, years of sobriety never did anything to maintain my motivation to stay sober. So I don't have an exact amount of years. Instead, motivation for me comes from holding true to my values, to my goals, and what it takes to hold true to those things. Hmm. I've never heard that before, but I am interested to hear more about those values and how you don't really need to remember that last drink or that date. But yeah, I'm, I'm excited. So let's talk about the podcast title, Matthew. Talk to me about your elevator. When did you decide to stop riding it down and get off? You know, a lot of Keep people going. talk about their their bottom, and which I completely understand. For me, you know, drinking and drugging, it was a bottomless pit. It was there was no bottom. It was bottomless and uh, leading to death for me. So the only way to avoid death was to stop using. Uh, once I finally realized that um, I was facing the bottomless pit of death, I chose to live and to stop using. Matthew, are you referring to using drugs and alcohol, or was it mostly drugs? Or can you t tell us what you were? You know, you said you know you're free of addiction now. What were you addicted to before? When I say free of addiction, I mean free of addiction as far as drugs. Uh, alcohol to me is included in the drugs. Uh, I did, I was addicted to many drugs over the years. The hardest for me to stop and the last of the drugs for me to stop uh, was alcohol and other prescription drugs like benzodiazepines, etc. Matthew, so many people do group alcohol in a separate category, but you're right. It's totally a drug. And talk to me about how that was the hardest one you said at the end to quit. It was the hardest. And, you know, of course, we all know everyone's experience is, is different. I had stopped several of the drugs I was addicted to, you know, years before I stopped alcohol. And, you know, for whatever reason, it was just, it was absolutely the hardest. It was the one that, that, that hung on that I thought I'd never be able to stop. I thought I should be able to stop it since I stopped the ones the other drugs before stopping alcohol, but yeah, it was the last of the drugs that I, that I uh, was able to stop and the hardest and alcohol was the most detrimental drug to me as far as health and life is concerned for me. Talk to me a little bit about your drinking habits towards the end there. How much were you drinking? Well, toward the end, the last, I would say about two years was life or death for me before the last two years for several years. I considered myself being able to control the addiction. I considered myself a functional um, alcoholic, a functional addict. It wasn't until the last two years that it became so out of control. I ended up in countless rehabs, countless detox facilities over those two years. At least a handful of times I ended up in emergency rooms, just waking up in the emergency rooms after having passed out on a street. And passerbys called 911 to have an ambulance pick me up and send me to a hospital. I was waking up in these hospitals, um, having to ask the doctors and nurses around me what happened, how did I get here, having no recollection of any of it. I was breaking, I wound up with broken ribs from falls, black eyes from falls. It, it, was, it was pretty bad. Matt, I am curious because that definitely does sound life or death for the last couple of years. When we yeah. first met via email, shall we say, you it, you told me that you got sober without Alcoholics Anonymous. So several years ago, and before we were you, we were chatting, you said in a re, in a rehab facility, you heard of Smart Recovery Program. Can you talk to us about that? 
Right. It was one of the many rehab facilities that I was in uh, for alcohol um, and other drugs. But the one of the uh, counselors had uh, recommended that we try out a program called Sound Recovery. It was it was outside of the rehab facility. It was meeting on a day. We we checked it out. It was an hour and a half or so meeting, and everything about it just was a complete 180 degree difference from Alcoholics Anonymous and everything that I had been, you know, going through in the prior years. And for some reason, it just clicked with me better than anything I ever had. Um, and I started to veer more toward smart recovery and away from, you know, everything else, um, just and became, you know, full on smart recovery person, I guess. Listeners, the smart recovery has a four point program. So Alcoholics Anonymous has some 12 steps. There are other 12 step programs, but this one has four salient points. And number one is building and maintaining motivation. Number two is coping with urges. Number three is managing thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. And number four, living a balanced life. Matthew, talk to me about those four points and how they've helped you stay sober. Yeah, absolutely. Um, for me, the four points clicked extremely well. The building and maintaining motivation came through establishing my personal values in my life and my personal goals in my life and what was helping me to achieve and maintain those values and goals and what was not. And then doing, you know, kind of a cost benefit analysis of all that. And alcohol surely was one of the major players keeping me from maintaining my values and from maintaining and achieving my goals. Uh, so that served as, uh, you know, their first point of motivation for me. After that, the biggest thing is just, you know, changing the way that we think that uh, Smart Recovery taught me that we have full control over how we view every situation, uh, including drug use, alcohol use, and the rational, they, they call it rational emotional behavioral therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy, things like this that we can actually change the way we see the world. We can't change how the world treats us, but we can you know, change how we see and react to the world. And is that part of the, the third pillar in the four-point program, managing thoughts, feelings, and behaviors, part of the cognitive therapy? It is absolutely. Um, the second and third points, uh, the second is uh, dealing with uh, urges and cravings. The third is managing the thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. It all kind of wraps into the cognitive behavioral therapy changing the way we think and um, learning that we have control over how we react and how we think about things. Let's chat about the fourth pillar, living a balanced life. Walk me through mm -hmm. just a day in the life of 37-year-old Matthew who's been sober for so many years that it's not even really, you don't even need to know the date, which I do like how you describe that. Walk me through your balanced life. Well, this is another really great point that I learned from Start Recovery, different from anything else any other program that I've tried or uh, resource that I've tried and used is that maintaining a life of sobriety is, is possible and it's easy and anybody can do it and anybody can learn the tools and techniques to do it and apply it and practice it. And it can become second nature and some recovery actually advocates um, kind of a graduation, if you will, from going to meetings. They encourage uh, you to like have hope that one day, you'll reach a point where, you know, you've got full control over the maintenance of your uh, drug-free living and, you know, won't even need to go to meetings that you'll practice these tools, practice these techniques so well and have them, you know, to be second nature to you that, you you know, you just go on living your life drug-free. It's as simple as that. 
I do like the USA acronym that Smart Recovery uses. It stands for Unconditional Self-Acceptance. What that means is us alcoholics, when we binge on this drug called alcohol, we are so hard on ourselves. And this USA Unconditional Self-Acceptance really tells us to just be okay with the fact that we're addicted to this drug called alcohol. Tell me about USA, what that means for you. You know, you're right on with uh with that meaning with USA, it, it can mean so many different things to so many different people. And what you said is right on. Uh, to me, it also means being okay and with, uh, with lapse and relapse, feeling like, you know, you can, uh, you don't have to be ashamed. You don't have to feel shame. You can share your lapses. You can share your relapses with people. You can still come to groups. You can still come to meetings with the shame and share your shame and heal, heal yourself with the shame uh, and turn healing yourself of, of addiction as well. And just just not being so so hard. There's there's no you know solid path. We're all so unique in this journey to recovery. Everyone's recovery portfolio is going to look completely different. Um, and it's just about how you customize it to your to your life. You know, Matthew. I looked all over the Smart Recovery handout, and I was looking for one word. I didn't find it. I found something similar. It was the word confidential. But I was looking for the word anonymous anonymity, secret, you know, don't let anybody know what the heck you're doing from the hours of seven to eight and Wednesday night at the church down on fourth and seventh, you know, stuff like that. Are there components of smart recovery where you can't talk about it? Is it anonymous? Shall I say, you know, instead of anonymous, like you said, smart recovery does use the word confidential and it applies specifically to the meetings that take place. So, you know, any, any use of somebody's name, identity, and associated to what they're talking with inside of a smart recovery meeting is confidential. It should never leave that meeting. Other than that, they don't use the word uh, anonymous. I got to say, I'm a fan of that, Matthew. I really am because you sharing your story, you not being anonymous right now is going to help so many people. And I completely understand the confidential part. It's got to feel like a safe landing zone for people mm -hmm. because if they felt you know, what they said would go out and be in the streets in their hometown, yeah, it just wouldn't work. So how do I find a meeting of Smart Recovery in, in my hometown? You know, it's actually pretty easy. Their uh, website, smartrecovery.org, it's uh, actually an international organization. So just visiting the website, you can link to any city uh, in the world and find out where meetings are being held and what time. And uh, some cities have direct links to their own city's uh, website, but the international website is a great place to start. SmartRecovery.org and uh, links you right to uh, any city in the world that has meetings. And the other great thing is that they're not limited to face-to-face -face meetings. They're really big on online meetings as well. So they have online meetings and chat rooms 24 hours a day, every day. That's pretty cool. Embracing the whole technology thing. I did see the website. It looks like they're organized on that front. It is easy to find and locate a meeting. You know, I'm, I'm a big fan of AA. It has been crucial to my recovery, but that has been, it's been tough. I go to a new city and it's like starting from scratch, trying to find a new meeting. If you're in a different country, good luck. It's, it's nearly impossible. So Matthew, I found my smart meeting. It's at, for example, four o'clock on the corner of eighth and Walnut. What is it going to be like? So I, I get there. Do we, do we all sit in a circle? Do we read off some traditions and, and things like that? Or just walk me through a meeting. 
You know, they're all pretty simple, laid back. They stick directly to the Smart Recovery Handbook, which incorporates the four points of Smart Recovery. And basically, it's about practicing different tools and techniques available through the handbook, through Smart Recovery, which involve, you know, rational, emotional, behavioral therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy, changing the way we think, all those kinds of tools and techniques and using the meeting to, to practice those tools and techniques in recovery and to abstain from any drug or behavior that, you know, people want to, to abstain from. Uh, there's a very uh, informal, you know, introduction as to how the meeting's laid out and each person introduces themselves and then basically just practicing using the tools and techniques and applying it to the four points uh, throughout the meeting. Is there free coffee, Matthew? <laughs> it depends uh, which meeting, I suppose. At mine, there is no coffee. <laughs> no, no coffee. Uh, what, what you got? But <laughs> but anyone's you know welcome to bring in some coffee if they'd like. Sure. <laughs> no, I, I got you. Hey, Matthew, I want to go back to the interview where you were saying that you were in countless rehab facilities. Was it that you stumbled upon smart recovery? Or do you hinge that with the fact that maybe you were finally ready because AA and other programs didn't work? Do you think that A, it's you found the right program, B, you were ready, or maybe C, a combination of both? That's a good question. I definitely did a lot of research into a lot of programs. And never on my own did I find Smart Recovery, unfortunately. It was somebody else that introduced me to Smart Recovery, fortunately. And I was ready at that time. Yeah, through all my research and wanting to stop, and I, I never was able to find it on my own. It was a non-Smart Recovery-based program that actually introduced me to Smart Recovery. So that's how, that's how I found out about it. Matthew, it, I don't know the time frame, whether it be one year ago or 20 years ago, probably couldn't be 20, but walk me through what it was like when you quit drinking your first 24 hours, your first six months, your first year. What can listeners expect when they want to quit drinking? You know, in my experience, when I stopped drinking, finally, I was coming out of my last of several detox uh, facilities which was actually for me uh, medically necessary to uh, prevent seizures, which I'd had before to detox from alcohol safely. And once I came out of there, it was, I would say two weeks of, uh, I, I didn't, I, I, I was done drinking. I, I just felt physically horrible. I was, I was still kind of going through withdrawal physically, mentally, and still being medically treated to detox over those two weeks. It was a pretty rough physical experience as well as mental, but mainly physical experience to detox from alcohol. And then after that two weeks, I started, you know, uh, I was detoxed. I, I felt good. I, I was off the detox medicine and it was a process of just building, building habits and a life that I, that didn't involve alcohol. Uh, one of them was, was going to these smart recovery meetings, getting involved in other activities and groups uh, that I enjoyed in my life already, and just creating time to, to go to those, to those activities and events. That's, that's how it started after the, the first two weeks. Matthew, I'm still trying to wrap my head around the free 
of addiction component of what you said. I do really like that you said, you know what? I, I don't even remember when I got sober that well because, look, it doesn't matter. I'm free of addiction. Why I think about it? But for me, Matthew, there are three dates that I will never forget. Number one, my birthday, April 10th. Number two, Christmas Day. And number three, hopefully September 7th, 2014 is my last day drinking. So when you say free of addiction, what does that mean? You know, for me, it was that whatever it was that clicked, clicked in me. And I knew that I had the tools and the techniques and the platform to practice using these tools and techniques to maintain a life free of addiction. And I knew that I never, it never had to be a part of my life again, and that I had alternatives and that I could create alternatives and stick with those alternatives. Uh, that's what freedom meant for me. I just never was motivated to count days. You know, I, I could tell you how many days I was wrapped up in addiction and imprisoned by addiction. But once I was free, that was it. I, you know, I didn't need to count for me. I, I just, there was no counting involved for me. The beauty of the recovery process is what you just said. For me, I didn't have the need to count the days. It's different for everybody. There's smart recovery. Absolutely. There's Alcoholics Anonymous. It's going to take a lot of different shapes and sizes for everybody. But Matthew, tell me about the affirmation or is there still a confirmation that you are an addict or do you, do you guys in smart recovery take that stance? For example, your last drink was X amount of years ago. Are you still an alcoholic? Well, for me, I am an ex-addict. I am an ex-alcoholic. Absolutely. I no longer suffer from any form of addiction or anything of that matter. For smart recovery, they encourage, I should say, they discourage the use of labels like alcoholic and addict, even if that's what somebody in a meeting would consider themselves. They discourage the use of those labels. However, if that is how you want to define yourself, you're free to define yourself however you'd like. Um, that's smart recovery's view in the meetings. But for me at this point, you know, I'm definitely an ex-addict, ex-alcoholic. With smart recovery, again, I'm trying to digest the handout that I got. Are there three components of alcoholism, shall we say, like the mental component, the physical component, and the spiritual component? Does Smart Recovery handle all those three as well? You know, I would say Smart Recovery handles the, the tools and techniques to abstain from any kind of drug, substance, or behavior. And as far as spirituality, that is completely up to, you know, each individual. And if the meetings discourage talk about spirituality in reference to like a specific God or a specific religion, um, because that doesn't apply to the actual tools and techniques in smart recovery. So while they encourage spirituality and religion, if that's what works for somebody, it's just not what's talked about in the hour of a smart recovery meeting, because that time is for specific talk about specific tools, specific techniques that can help us to stop using. Matthew, I'm so glad you brought up the word God because that is listed right under anonymous on my notepad. God underlined twice. I don't see the word God on this handout. I do see the word higher power. And to tell you the truth, in AA meeting, you can hear those two words, that combination of words a hundred times. And I was baffled when I read it and I was like, wait, there's no God on this, on this sheet. Can you expand a little bit more on that? Do you think a higher power is something that you, you don't need a higher power or, or if you do just, you don't really need to talk about it? Well, for me, for me personally, I, I do believe in God, but it is not something that 
would be talked about in a smart recovery meeting just because smart recovery just focuses on tools and techniques to stop uh, using alcohol specific tools and techniques. So, you know, if I wanted to talk about God, I just, you know, go to my church, talk about God instead of a smart recovery meeting. It sounds like smart recovery is based on, you know, the, the church and state format, which, which I got respect for. I definitely do. At, at the same time, it is encouraged, you know, each individual to, you know, if you're spiritual, absolutely maintain a relationship with that spirituality. Fantastic. Matthew, we have reached the rapid fire round. Are you ready? Sure. <laughs> All right. Here we go. Number one, Matthew, what was your worst memory from drinking? You know, there's so many worst memories. I feel like I could write a book, but the absolute worst, uh, I would say, is actually the fear that I would couldn't stop. The fear ingrained in my head that that I had no power to stop this, which later I found out was wrong. But there was a time that the worst memory for me was uh, being so entrapped in uh, addiction that I, I thought I could never stop it. I just Which got later, chills. Again, to be wrong. Oh, and I got <laughs> chills hearing that answer because yes, that is a terrible memory. The fear that you just couldn't stop. Number two, Matthew, what's your plan in sobriety moving forward? You know, my plan actually is to, you know, maintain a drug-free, addiction-free life the rest of my life and to be bold in sharing uh, my experiences with my past addiction and my current uh, drug-free life and any shame associated with that that I may still hold on to uh, to share that with people. Love it. Matthew, number three, besides smart recovery, what is your favorite resource in recovery? Uh, besides smart, you know, favorite resource I would say is anything having to do with uh, any kind of, you know, rational, emotional, behavioral therapy, REBT, CBT, things like that. Perfect. Matthew, number four, in regards to sobriety, what's the best advice you've ever received? Uh, the best advice I received is somebody told me if you are consistently over a long period of time taking recovery one day at a time, you can find a better recovery program. Hang on one second, Matthew. I'm writing that down. Number five, <laughs> what parting piece of guidance can you give to listeners who are thinking about quitting drinking or are in recovery? You know, for, uh, for guidance, I would just say to dive in, research, and gather as many experiences from other people as you can, and uh, analyze it, study it, see if it can apply to your life or not, and if you can apply it and make it work, practice it, and create a way to, to, re to be recovered. Matthew, solid stuff. Thanks for helping me stay sober today. Really appreciate it. Thanks for joining us. Well, yeah, thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. All right, Recovery Elevator, as promised, I would lay out my detailed plan of how you can return to normal drinking and avoid that first drink that always gets us into so much trouble. Are you ready for this? And like I said, I don't plan on trying this because life is going pretty good for me. Life is pretty good. But if you're wondering if you have a drinking problem, go ahead and try this solution and let me know how it works for you. So we've always heard it's that first drink that gets us into the most trouble. So here's what you do. Saddle up at the bar. Order that first drink, whatever it may be. Gin and tonic, tequila sunrise, whatever your first drink of choice is. Pay for it. Tip the bartender. And then just look at it. Observe the drink. 
Look at those fizzy bubbles. Even talk to it. You with your ice cubes being all tall and refreshing and cold to the touch condensation on the outside of the glass. And that straw, which is the vehicle for the liquid to get into my mouth. My drinks usually had umbrellas. You get the point. Actually, when I said the word umbrella, I had a sea breeze phase. I'm not sure if anybody knows what a sea breeze is. But after you have personified your drink for a little bit, give it like three to five minutes. Again, I haven't tried out this plan, but I imagine that's the best time. Here's what you do next. And this is where the genius part comes in. Grab the drink with your right hand if you're right-handed. Grab it with your left hand if you're left-handed. Are you ready for it? You guys can take notes if you want. So grab the drink. Your arm is bent. Extend your arm straight. Move your arm 90 degrees and set that drink about a foot and a half away from you. And that's all you're doing. You're not drinking the drink, of course. We're not going to drink that first drink because we all know what happens after you take that first drink. So you're going to put that drink on the bar right next to you. And then here is the genius part. Order your second drink. The bartender will probably look at you a little strange. There might be laws about this in some states. You might need to hide the drink. You might need to move it and put it on the bar stool next to you. Tuck the bar stool underneath the bar so the bartender won't see it. But order that second drink and take a sip. Do you see what I'm getting at here, guys? If you don't touch that first drink, you're totally in the clear. But here's a pitfall I can see. You can have drink three, four, and five, six, seven, eight. You know, in my case, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 22 to 38. But just don't forget that you can't touch that first drink. Because if you get too drunk, look to your right and be like, whoa, somebody left this drink an hour ago. This looks delicious. And you drink that first drink, you're screwed. You're totally, totally screwed. So that's it. That's the plan, Recovery Elevator. Just don't take that first drink. You can drink drinks two through 50, but as long as you don't take that first drink, I imagine it's going to be just fine. Like I said before, I don't plan on trying this plan. And you can probably tell this plan is like Swiss cheese. There's a couple holes in it. But that brings me up to the next little topic here is you might be an alcoholic if. Because for some reason the other day, I thought about this plan. And for like a fraction of a second, my addiction, talking to me in my own mind, was like, dude, just don't take that first drink. Order the second and third and fourth, but never drink that first one. Just put it to the right of you at the bar. And I was like, oh, you almost got me good there, addiction, but I'm not going to fall for that one. So here's mine. You might be an alcoholic if when you hear that it's the first drink that gets us into the most trouble, your brain quickly concocts a plan, an invention, a strategy to simply not take that first drink, but then drink drinks two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. So we are going to be bringing back the You Might Be an Alcoholic If segment. Email us at info at recoveryelevator.com with your You Might Be an Alcoholic If. Recovery Elevator, we all took the elevator down. You got to take the stairs back up. You can do this. 